bringing you the stories behind the songs. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by Elisa Ilana Jewelry. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, his songwriting defied convention, his voice is considered one of the greatest ever, and the magic of his performance style baffled even the Beatles. Roy Orbison was a music guy's music guy with devoted fans all over the globe. He's not only in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Songwriter Hall of Fame, named a number 13 greatest singers of all time, but he was also considered a gentleman. May 20th marks the 25th anniversary re-release of Mystery Girl, Roy Orbison's last studio album before his untimely death in 1988 at 52. And this album included the worldwide smash, You Got It. Roy's youngest son, Alex, is here to tell you about the reissue, the new songs included, and the documentary that he produced about his dad's life and musical legacy, which includes the unique way that Alex and his two brothers were finally able to record with their dad. Alex Orbison to talk about Mystery Girl and his father's legacy and the music. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you, thank you. Great to have you with us. Yeah, talk about this reissue. This is a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. This has been such a uh, such a great thing for us to be able to put together because of how much stuff we actually found. You know, oh, mm-hmm. some stuff that's never been released before, or people have never heard stuff that literally we didn't know that we had until you know three months ago or whatever. Wow. You know, so you know it was surprising that the depth of what we had found, and uh, you know, starting with the documentary, we had archived footage from uh, Mike Campbell's garage studio. You know, they had needed to see each other from the guest bedroom into the garage okay. when my, my dad would be singing in the garage and so someone was feeding tapes or the video machine while it was running and so <laughs> that footage is so candid and you get to really see uh, that along with the CBS archive footage that we have had you know you really get to see what it was like to make a Roy Orbison record wow you know? so now you actually put all this footage together and you also interviewed people about your father's music legacy and people who had worked with him so what did you learn about your dad in putting this together? I don't think there was anything that I learned. I know that's an anticlimactic answer, but we were so tightly knit together Mm. that... uh, more than what I had learned, it was what I was able to relay to everyone through this documentary okay. to be able to get that extra depth of what it took to put together the record and how unconventional some of these setups were, how these guys were best friends, and what my dad was like as a person, and be able to see some of the, uh, you know, some of the behind the scenes to be able to show people what he was actually like. That mm-hmm. side of him, because he was always considered very mysterious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think the mysteriousness came from, you know, we've had tragedies in our family. Um, You know, my dad's first wife, Claudette, had passed away in a motorcycle accident Mm -hmm. in 1966. And then uh, about two years later, my oldest two brothers, uh, Roy DeWayne and Tony, had uh, had, uh, perished in a fire in Hendersonville, Tennessee. It was a home fire. Wow. So... I feel that um, over the you know over the years, people have refused to accept my dad's answer. So they would you know every interview started out. Well, you had these tragedies, Roy, and then you know you're a really glum person. And my dad would say, actually, no, you know, we all go through you know hard things. And I really feel like you know I've had another chance at life. And then they would never go off the beaten path. So I, I don't think you know. I just think that it didn't come out as much, or you know, I don't 
don't know. And, and the times have definitely changed as well. Mm-hmm. You know, to be able to show this amount of depth and this behind the scenes, I feel like in the even in the late '90s, you wouldn't want to show uh, Roy Orbison not just nailing a vocal or doing something perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't want to have that. You know, that right. footage shown in this. You know, you can see and you got it. They had changed some stuff, and my dad's really working hard to get it just right and piece together what was two parts and make them one. Wow. And so for us, it was great to show that because, you know, he's having some rough times and he's giggling and he says bass words and he's just, <laughs> ah, you know, it's just great. Yeah. So now what was he like as a dad? It sounds like you guys were pretty tight. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were real close. And, uh, you know, as brothers, we all had something that we did that my dad also did that would bring us together. And with me, it was the model airplanes. And, uh, you know, we built model airplanes and cars together. And I had set up my little workshop in his bigger workshop that was kind of a no-go zone for everyone. It was his private place. So I didn't even consider that. I had just set up a little table to work in there. And so, you know, we had a lot of quality time together doing that stuff. The life lessons that he gave were really practical and ended up uh, really helpful later. It's funny because I didn't sing much, but I would whistle and I would sing in the shower. And so he would say, you know, make sure that you're listening to make sure you're on key. Uh-huh. Taught me how to actually listen at the beginning, how to get closer on the mark, you know, and that kind of thing. Wow. Okay. Uh-huh. Very interesting. How old were you when he passed away? It seems like I was 13 at that time. Okay. Well, if you're just joining us here today on the Mulberry Lane Show, we're chatting with Roy Orbison's youngest son, Alex Orbison. He's talking about the 25th anniversary of Roy's last album, Mystery Girl. It's being reissued with some newly released material that's never been heard before on May 20th. All right. Now you recorded a song. You found some old vocals of his. Yeah. Stripped away everything. Yeah. You and... Two of your brothers played instruments and also sang backing vocals. So yep. describe technically that process and then emotionally what that was like. Yeah, so it was not a master tape, and I can't stress that enough, that it was just a cassette tape that was recorded on so a boombox. pretty box. raw, yeah. And uh, even the width of the tape makes it really hard to just pull anything out of there, and it had this hiss and overtone that was on the actual tape. So just finding it was a miracle, and the fact that we were able to use a supercomputer to clean it up to get it as loud as the rest of the the record and have a presence wow. that it didn't have because he wasn't singing hard because it was such an intimate setting. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to be able to do all that and then uh, to get together as brothers and I played drums on it and Roy Jr. and Wesley and, and actually John Carter Cash all play guitar on it as well. Okay. John Carter co-produced it with us. So we did all this at the Johnny Cash cabin and uh, it's funny because in the middle of the day uh, Roy Jr. looked at Wesley and they looked at each other and one of them said, you know, this is such a big day. And the other one said, yeah, I can cross a ton of my bucket list off today. This is hitting like four of the marks all in one day. Wow. Pretty cool. Words can't even describe it really. I bet. So during this whole process for you, was there ever a point where you broke down and shed a tear? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, and funny, the documentary when we made it, I had never talked about hearing Wesley's uh, demo, and I'd never talked about that to anyone. And so here you have two brothers talking to each other. I would interview Roy and Wes, and Wes and Roy would interview me, and we would take turns in the interviewer chair. We were talking about stuff we'd never talked about. And of course, there was times when we would have the tears come. And uh, interestingly enough, every time I watch the documentary, I have either proud or sad tears and uh it's about 
75 or 80 percent are the proud tears that, that I have but I cry at a different part every time I normally laugh at a different part every time and uh, you know I've seen the documentary like 80 times now so it hits so. you differently at different times yeah my brother Roy Jr. had said that this was like having a high school yearbook or something because it's mm-hmm. just a little time capsule of that year and a half that we have the film for so it's really really special to see the other angles of this you know and fill in the pieces and that kind of thing what Great. a neat thing so when people get the 25th anniversary set they get the DVD and the music right the deluxe package uh-huh. you get the DVD which has a documentary and eight bonus videos two of which are new and one's an alternate take of a day David Fincher video that he made in the late 80s. You get nine bonus tracks with the original record and then a 40-page booklet with a 5,000-word essay and all the photos that were associated with the Mystery Girl photo shoot. Literally, we were calling it everything but the kitchen sink. Yeah. Wow. Started to finish, now we just call it the kitchen sink. <laughs> wow. That's some awesome musical history to get there. You know, it never had been written down and each layer in the documentary, you can hear different things on the tape and then when you read the liner notes, you can fill in different things about the documentary. So okay. really tried to make it the whole experience. Mm-hmm. Now, Bono was a big fan of your dad's and he had said at one time when he was singing with him in the studio that it sounded like he was barely speaking. He barely moved his lips, but then in playback, it was such an amazing yeah. vocal. Now from the studio demo version, which is on the record, you can actually hear Bono lead my dad in the second verse because my dad had stumbled on the words and Bono had changed the second verse a ton of times. But, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I don't think he could hear my dad singing is because he had his guitar amp in there with the drums. I mean, who does that? I mean, for me being a musician, you know, and even Jim Keltner, who's the most recorded studio drummer in the planet, he said, you know, I looked at our situation and just said, you don't do this every day. I mean, <laughs> and this is the guy who's recorded more than anyone else. So yeah, it really, amazing. you know, it really is great to see that they were experimental and casual and respectful. You know, the depth of it and so many levels is amazing. You great know? thing to see. And Bono also said about your dad, the real rebels to me always had manners. Roy was a true gentleman. And that's a scary thing in a man, a man that's so sure in himself that he can be polite. So does the video, does that capture that part of him too? Oh, yeah, yeah, and you, you definitely see him, and at one point someone else comes in the studio and wants to take pictures, and the vocal mic's on, so you can hear them all do, going, cheese, and uh, and they're laughing and stuff, you know, and uh, even the footage of Careless Heart, there's this really tight pan footage where the cameraman literally is sticking the camera in his face and this big boom mic. Normal people would have just put their hand up and said, look, we've done a ton of work today. You got everything you need. Enough is enough, yeah. We have to work here. They're literally figuring out the structure of the song with Mike Campbell and my dad on acoustic guitars and my dad just lets it rip and the whole time I was watching the archive footage the first time I thought please please God don't like let this in this is the most beautiful thing and and if we have a whole song with this you know I can put it in there and it'll be a whole song and then you know he just was so tolerant and accepting and you really are able to pick up a lot of his uh, sense of humor and all this on the documentary so that's something my brother's and I are like wildly proud of. Yeah, what a gift. We have one last question and that's our question of the day. Mm -hmm. Are you a morning or a night person? 
You know, I'm both. Uh, really funny because I had toured and been a musician, and I get on tour schedule pretty easy. But then now handling a lot of the Roy Orbison stuff, the business starts very early. So literally, I try to get up and make sure that I'm up in between six and seven. Then I normally go to bed around twelve or one, and sometimes a little later. So wow! So you have become both, <laughs> burning I, the candle at both ends I, out I, of necessity. I try to drink a ton of coffee, and okay. I recommend that to everyone who's listening. Okay. <laughs> Cheers. We totally agree. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us, Alex. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Alex Orbison, son of music legend Roy Orbison. Keep it right here. You're listening to The Mulberry Lane Show. Woo!